Welcome back to the Buddhist Recovery Network podcast. My name is Thomas Valentine. I just want to give a big shout out to everyone that was at the RefCon 5, the Refuge Recovery Convention in Chicago. That was such a fun experience to get to go and be in community so intensely. Um, I had the best time and I met so many phenomenal people and it was really exciting when I met people that recognized my voice from the podcast. I'm like, oh my God, people listen. Um, But yeah, I just want to say RefCon 5 was amazing and it was really epic when Amy Reed announced Recovery Dharma, the new Buddhist recovery program. If you haven't watched the video, you definitely should. Um, It is in the Recovery Dharma table of contents, which I will post a link in the description of the podcast. It also includes the brand new free book, The Dharma of Recovery, which we read in a meeting tonight and it was phenomenal. So definitely check that out. It's really exciting to have, you know, another Buddhist recovery program out there along with the rest of all the amazing programs. Um, We are hoping to get a representative of this new grassroots trauma-informed peer-led recovery program on the podcast soon, uh, hopefully this month. So fingers crossed we will be able to make that happen and get a podcast recorded. Um, But today's podcast was recorded at our live podcast recording called the Buddhist Recovery Network Academy or BRN Academy, which we do the first Sunday of every month. Next month is Joan Tollefson, author of Bare Bones Meditation, Waking Up from the Story of My Life, and Nothing to Grasp. Tune in for the live Dharma Talk and Q&A, August 4th. But this week, we have the wonderful Angu Devon Ashwood, who will be giving a Dharma Talk on Living an Authentic Life. Hope you enjoy. Uh, started my uh, Dharma practice in sincerity probably about uh, 20 years ago Um, and in that time I've uh, really uh, tried to devote my uh, energies to helping people particularly in um, addiction recovery and prisons uh, to realize uh, a life free of uh, addiction and suffering. Uh, I trained as as a counselor, as a psychotherapist and uh, as a mindfulness teacher and um, have been studying mostly in the Soto Zen tradition of Buddhism over that time under the teacher Reb Anderson who 
uh, is it a Dharma student of uh, Shrimu Suzuki, author of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, who founded the San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, I'm currently uh, a chaplain and have been a prison chaplain for the past 10 years uh, to the UK prison service and visit Buddhist prisoners. And I'm also now uh, working as a director of the Guy House Insight Meditation Retreat Center. And uh, I'm really grateful to be invited to, to talk to you today. So thank you. Hmm. And if you're willing to, I would love to start with a, a period of maybe of 10, 10 minutes mindfulness practice together to help ourselves to ground and, and come into this present moment. So please make yourself comfortable. So if you'd like to find a position that holds you upright, but is at the same time grounded and releasing, letting go. Please draw your attention to the sensations in the body. Noticing. Come present to the points of contact between our skin and the support beneath us. Pressure, temperature, Noticing areas of openness, areas of contraction. Maybe drawing the attention to the feeling of the movement of breath in the body. Seeing if you can sense the physical changes as you inhale and as you exhale. Training attention to the moment by moment sensations in the body. if we can sense each moment of each breath.
even attending to the transitions between outbreath and inbreath. The momentary pause between inbreath and outbreath. Not looking for anything clever, anything special. Just the simplicity of sensing, breathing. being present for the whole breath. And the next breath. And letting go. present for the bell. Thank you. So um, I've been invited to talk uh, today uh, as part of the uh, Buddhist Recovery Network Academy. And uh, the title I offered was uh, Living an Authentic Life. And if you read the, um, the brief I had, I had suggested for uh, the outline of the talk, I highlighted how um, a life free of craving and addiction uh, isn't just about uh, being free of intoxicants, but could be about living a, a full and authentic life. And highlighted some research that, uh, that looked at levels of life satisfaction in people who were in recovery in comparison to people who uh, had uh, not had issues with addictions. And that that had suggested that although people in recovery may be 
suffer more, have more difficulty in the first year of their recovery. People in longer term recovery are on average very often uh, happier, have, have a better sense of contentment in life than, than the general population. Which leaves the question, what is it about recovery that maybe may, leads people to be more content? And um, the research doesn't uh, answer this question, but uh, I wonder if um, having a practice uh, engaging in a program of self-study and change, making the effort to reflect on oneself and be willing to change might have something to do with this. And I, uh, as um, authors like uh, Darren Littlejohn and, uh, and sort of Kerry Griffin, Kevin Griffin have um, highlighted that there are links between the 12-step recovery path and the Buddhist path. And one can walk a recovery path um, along the lines of the Buddhist teaching. But also uh, the 12-step path, um, even if it's walked uh, outside of the context of the Buddhist teaching, covers a, a lot of the same ground. And I wanted to talk today a bit about how we might learn to live on all this authentic life uh, with the guidance of the Buddhist teaching. One of the reasons I've uh, found myself so embedded in, in the Buddhist path, I think, is because the teachings uh, are so clear to me. I find uh, the practices very uh, real, practical and accessible to me. I'm, I'm not being asked to believe something for my own salvation. I'm being offered a practice which realizes truth, which realizes the authentic life. And I think there's something that maybe most of us, or maybe all of us resonate with you know, when we, we think about living an authentic life. I think that's what we want, to be genuinely who we are. And what is that? Uh, the word authentic shares the root of, with the word author, somebody who, who originates a work. Um, but how, how does our life originate? Who's the author of the work? Um, the Buddha taught what's called Dharma. And Dharma has many translations, one of which is the teaching of the Buddha, the most common translation may be. But Dharma is also um, like phenomenon or how things are, or maybe reality, or the practice of reality. So the Buddha was teaching uh, as best as he could how things actually are. And I, I don't think this is just uh, a Buddhist endeavor. I think many traditions try to teach us how things actually are so that we can live an authentic life in alignment with how things are. Um, and um, I think how things are transcend any individual philosophy or religion. 
the uh, founder of the modern mindfulness movement, John Kabat-Zinn, said uh, that if it's Dharma, it cannot be exclusively Buddhist any more than the law of karma, uh, sorry, any, <laughs> any more than the law of gravity is English because of Newton. For it to be Dharma, it cannot be exclusively Buddhist any more than the law of gravity is English because of Newton. Gravity is not Newtonian. Dharma isn't Buddhist. Dharma is how things are. And gravity is how things are. So the Buddha was trying to teach us this, I think, how things are. Um, I, I mentioned the 12-step recovery program earlier, and um, one of the central uh, components of this is uh, seeking to a, a guidance or alignment with a higher power. Uh, if you want this, you have it, the Dharma, reality, the practice of living in, in accordance with reality uh, seems to me to be uh, something that's uh, higher or more profound or more deep than our superficial idea of ourself. I think our deluded selves uh, are a problem, but if we can align our deluded self with reality, um, that's freedom. So the Buddha was teaching that we can learn the Dharma. We can learn to understand how things are and learn to live in alignment with the Dharma through approach, through, through both practice and through study. Um, so we need to, uh, if we're going to practice the Dharma, we need to study reality. And we were offered some, uh, some tools, some practices, some techniques in the Buddhist tradition, practices of, of making effort, of mindfulness, of training concentrated awareness, of meditation, so that we can understand it's very easy to uh, go through life not really paying attention and as such not really learning. Um, if you're like me, you may have spent many hours at school staring out the window and daydreaming and not really learning and all of the lessons that are on offer. Uh, as an adult, I, I, I've learned from my mistakes, I think a little, and I, I try to pay attention a, a bit more now. And in paying attention, I, I get to understand how, how life is and how I am but it doesn't happen just because I want it to. It happens because I make the effort to develop a sustained attention, to be mindful. So I mentioned earlier about um, living an authentic life and authenticity being related to uh, the author and to the originator of the story. And um, the Buddha had something to say about uh, who that was. He said that... The nature of reality is something that's been translated as codependent origination. That everything, um, particularly including us, exists in dependence on other things. And um, so we can study this, we can study the Buddha's literary teachings that have been left behind. But if we really want to understand dependent origination, if we, if we really want to understand what he's talking about, when he points out that everything is other dependent, everything exists 
in dependence upon other things, we need to pay attention to that in our experience. Um, so wisdom has an understanding component, if you like a, a cognitive component, but wisdom also has a behavioral component. And uh, it's a bit like if you, if, you if, you, if you know that smoking's bad for you, but you carry on. Well, that's not wisdom. But if you know that smoking's bad for you and you stop, that's wisdom. So we need to live in alignment with our understanding and, and that maybe takes some effort. So this uh, wisdom and practice that we're talking about that the Buddha offered is one of study and practice. It's one of living in accordance with our understanding and developing and deepening our understanding through practice. The Buddha uh, was so, uh, so emphasized uh, dependent origination that he says, he said it, uh, in the Vajjana um, Nikaya that one who sees dependent origination sees the Dharma and one who sees the Dharma sees dependent origination. And I think he's using the Dharma in that context to say how things are and my teaching. One who sees my teaching sees how things arise in dependence on other things. And one who sees how things arise dependent on other things sees my teaching. And he goes on to elaborate about how the five khandhas, the, or the five aggregates, everything that we might think of as us or ours, uh, as me or mine, whether that be forms, physical forms, sensations, perceptions, volitions or intentions, consciousness, anything that we think of as us or ours, arises dependently. Again, in the Majjhima he says, and these five aggregates, afflicted by clinging, are dependently arisen. The desire, indulgence, inclination, and holding on these five aggregates, affected by clinging, is the origin of suffering. The removal of desire and lust, the abandonment of desire and lust for these five aggregates, affected by clinging, is the cessation of suffering. So the Buddha here is talking about first noble truths of suffering and the origin of suffering. That if we attach to anything that we think of as us or ours, if we cling to or hold to anything that we think of as us or ours, this is suffering. However, abandoning identification and clinging, abandoning craving to these aggregates, anything we think of as us or ours, this is freedom. And our life and who uh, who we are is other dependent. Everything that the rest of the universe isn't, we are, in one sense. You might think of it that way. And we're given our life by the whole universe. In this very moment, you're listening because I'm speaking or because there's a recording of my speaking playing. You're sitting or standing or lying because there's air to breathe. The, the world is being kept at this temperature by the sun, the forces of the atmosphere. Everything's coming into place right now, just as it is, to allow this moment to be as it is. Your life in this moment exists solely because everything else is just in its place. And it can only be this way because everything else is the way it is. And something else changes, and to that degree you change. And this is the case for everything. But we kind of live as if it wasn't. 
our deluded life lives as if there's something fixed and permanent here which is separate from the rest of the universe and because we think that way we suffer we attach to a fixed self in a world where the self is completely dependent on everything else and always changing so in a universe where the self is continually being given where the self that we we are is given to us moment by moment uh, we can either be uh, ungrateful and complain and wish there was some other life right now that was available and suffer we could attach to some idea of a self that is somewhere else or we can be grateful we can say thank you for the life we've been given in this moment um, and the buddha i think taught um, gratitude and generosity because that is reality in reality who you are is given to you in this moment and you in turn give your life to everything else in the universe to make it the way it is at the same time this life of gratitude and generosity is the life of reality it's how things are and if we resist we suffer and probably those around us do too In a sense, we are inherently selfless. There really isn't anything that we own that is us in addition to everything the universe is giving us in this moment. We are selfless beings, yet we may be ignorant of that and grasp at a fixed self, at something that is in addition to the universe and separate. We may be ungrateful, we may be not generous, and uh, we ignore the selfless nature of the universe and that's 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 stressful we're in opposition to how things actually are so really the only sane response as i say to a, a, a life that's being given to us in this moment is living a life of gratitude and generosity our life requires everything to be just as it is and we can learn to think and to speak and to act from that selfless place. But it takes some training. Um, the 13th century Zen master Ehe Dogen in his essay, the Genjo Koan said, uh, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. And to, um, to study the self is to forget the self. And I think he means to forget the separate deluded self but we can't just forget the self until we have studied it so intimately uh, that it doesn't hold us in trance anymore we need to really study the self before we can let it go in the Udana Sutta the, the Buddha was teaching um, a, a, a yogi called Bahia and he gave instruction to Bahia uh, when, the, when Bahia asked him to, for teaching, he said to Bahia, this, he said to this very trained yogi, he said, Bahia, train the mind thus. In the seen, there is just the seen. In the heard, there is just the heard. In the sensed, only the sensed. And in the cognized, only the cognized. When for you, there is in the seen, only the seen. In the heard, only the heard. In the sensed, only the sensed. And in the cognized, only the cognized then 
There is no you in connection with this, and there's no you in connection with that. There's no you here, and there's no you there. You are neither here nor yonder, nor between the two, and this alone is the end of suffering. So both this Mahayana teacher, this, this later Buddhist school teacher, Dogen, in the Zen school, saying, study the Buddha, way, study the self, forget the self. And this earlier, these, these, these Pali teachings that are so held sacredly by the Theravada school, the Buddha is saying, train the mind thus, and the scene is just the scene. And when it's like that for you, you're not here or there or anywhere in between. You, you realize your selfless self. So to live an authentic life, to be who we really are, we need to realize selflessness. One of my favorite descriptions of how this happens um, was written by uh, Marjorie Williams Bianco in The Velveteen Rabbit. So you may have heard this, but I'd love to read it now, if, if I may. She writes, Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a children's story. It's a thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you. Then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up? he asked, or, or bit by bit. It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily, or who have sharp edges, or, have, or who have to be kept carefully. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes have dropped out, and you get loose in the joints, very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you're real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. And so the Buddha's teaching of the Four Noble Truths of suffering, and the cause of suffering, the end of suffering and the path to the end of suffering, uh, outlined this path of, of wisdom and ethics and meditation. And the practice of meditation of making an effort, of paying attention mindfully, of developing uh, concentrated awareness, uh, is paying attention in class. It's studying how things are. And this practice is realized through ethical action, through right speech, through right action, through right livelihood. Um, not only because when you understand things, how things are, you will be selfless and ethical, but also the very effort to act selflessly, 
and ethical will help you to realize your delusion. What do we, be, what do we become awakened of? What do we become enlightened about when we study? I don't think we become enlightened about enlightenment. I think what, what we, when we study, what we become enlightened about, what we awaken to, is to our illusions, to our delusions. Through studying how we are, we realize how we misperceive the world. And if we make an effort to be selfless, to speak truthfully, to act in a way that recognizes the non-separation between ourselves and others, then we can notice when we're not doing that. And when we notice that, we can question what's going on here. How am I seeing the world that allows me to speak untruthfully? How, how can I perceive the world in a way that leads me to take things which aren't being given to me or to harm others or to put myself above others or put, put myself below others? When we make an effort to be selfless and kind, to be generous and grateful, we can notice when we're not and we can feel the pain of that. And it's not the kind of pain we need to beat ourselves up about. It's, it's a kind of learning pain which we can hold with this non-attached awareness and be transformed by. The pain of our deluded action can transform us when we truly embrace it, when we don't avoid it through judgment, through intoxication. And there's a wisdom that arises from this study program. Um, the the, the uh, 13th century Zen master Dogen, whom I mentioned earlier, went on from saying to study the Buddha ways, to study the self, and to study the self is to forget the self. And said that to forget the self is to be realized by all things or to be awakened by all things. When we truly see uh, delusion as delusion, we call this awakening or enlightenment. To know that a deluded thought is a deluded thought, um, we no longer maybe see the world so much as uh, a situation of me going into the room and seeing the room, but the room, uh, comes forward and realizes me. We maybe don't see the world in quite such a one-sided way anymore. We can open to a world that is co-created, a self that isn't just enacting upon the world, but the, the world enacts upon. So the practice of um, authenticity, the practice of reality, as I said earlier, um, is a practice of receiving, receiving our life as it's given to us in this moment, and a practice of giving. Practice of gratitude and of generosity. And this is only realized, reality is only realized when we practice it. Um, 
So in this spirit, the Buddha's teachings um, are realized in the practice of gratitude and generosity, both in a, in a spiritual, but also in a very real and practical way. Um, the Buddha and his disciples um, offered, have been offering the Buddha's teachings for the last 2,500 years. And these teachings are freely given. But it's only been possible because those people who are giving the Buddha's teachings are living a life of gratitude and generosity. And the people who receive the teachings are living a life of gratitude and generosity. And without people putting food into the Buddha's bowl, the Buddha would not have been able to teach. And this has gone on for many hundreds of years since then. So in that spirit, uh, if you'd like to continue to support the turning of the Dharma wheel, you are invited into this practice uh, to support uh, the Buddhist Recovery Academy um, by following the link that was posted with this talk at uh, www.buddhistrecovery.org forward slash academy.htm and make an offering. So thank you so much for all your attention and time and generosity. I uh, really open to any feedback or comments or questions that you might have. So you can type your questions or comments into the chat field or raise your hand with that. Let just let us know that you'd like to come on live or just um, turn your video on. Let's see who's joined us here today. So, um, Devin, I have kind of a question that I often think of, um, and um, I'm wondering if uh, a lot of a lot of times um, in a in a in the finest moments of sobriety, um, I'm seeing my own imperfections as part of this perfect moment of interconnectedness, and I've been curious as to whether or not this is this is an authentic seeing myself or is it is it really just more egocentric response to suffering um and i'm just you know uh yeah i, I i'm actually not sure whether uh that's a moment of progress <laughs> or if it's um more egocentricity what do you think about that oh thank you robin that, that is uh, quite a profound question I, I really appreciate you raising it and um um, I, I really understand uh, where this is coming from, that we, we do have a tendency to question, uh, how, how am I getting on? Am I making progress? Is, is this uh, awareness of uh, my defilements, awareness of my ignorance or selfishness progress? Or is this just me kind of patting myself on the back? Is, is that kind of your question, Robin? That is my question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, in a way, I feel like it's, it's it may, I wonder if it's more helpful to, to just, um, to not attach to trying to answer the question. 
um, I, I suspect that if if, that if, if, there's, if there's a grasping at needing to know, um, maybe there's a discomfort behind the not knowing. Um, because I, I think our minds want to, 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 to get a hold of, of ourself. I think that's a, a very natural human tendency to, to, to get a sense of who we are, to think I'm this, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making progress, or I'm not making progress, I'm, I'm enlightened or I'm deluded. Um, and I, and I, to me, I think that's a symptom of um, the human condition, which doesn't make it wrong. It's, it's just the human condition. Um, but not to wholeheartedly buy into that question not wholeheartedly to, to grasp after an answer. Um, I know that the early Buddhist, Buddhist teachings, uh, the Buddha says things like, uh, I am the world honored one. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I've awakened. And, and so many of the Buddhist students won't walk around wondering things like, am I awakened? <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, it feels to me that I, my sense is that um, that can be a distraction, uh, that kind of language and that kind of thinking. Um, and I don't, I don't know how much of the, 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 the recorded Buddhist teachings are, um, are, are um, have been accurately translated, but in my practice, um, I've, I've found getting too involved in working out what I am or uh, if I'm right or wrong and grasping hold of that is that's a distraction. But being open to the mystery uh, is this delusion? Well, it kind of seems deluded. Um, yeah, maybe I should uh, say sorry to that person. Or was that skillful? Well, it's, it seemed kind of skillful. I better watch that. Yeah, maybe that was. So there's. It, I think having the question is really healthy, but getting attached to the answer. Um, maybe that. Maybe that's more of a problem than than questioning. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. So if there are any um, concepts that came up in, in the talk that you felt like you'd like me to elaborate upon, I'd, I'd really open to hearing what would be useful. And you don't need to expose yourself. You're very welcome to just uh, click on that little chat icon and uh, and just type in there something that you'd like to say. So, um, would you want to read out this question for the sake of the podcast, Robin? Um, are there uh, meditations that you find to be more helpful than others for this studying oneself, an insight, um, an insight practice that you'd recommend, 
um, or any, any meditation that you find more helpful uh, for living this authentic life. Mm, thank you. So uh, my main practice has been um, what I call Zazen or just sitting. But uh, I, I don't know that that's the most more, more helpful or the most helpful. It's the practice that I've um, been introduced to that I've engaged with the most. Um, but I also, um, as I said earlier, I trained as a mindfulness teacher and, and teach uh, my, kind of secular mindfulness meditation and mindfulness in Buddhist contexts, um, which uh, may be a little bit more um, focused than the sort of objectless awareness of, of, of Zazen. Um, and uh, for me, it seems in a way the most important thing for a meditation to be meaningful is that there's an effort um, and when I say an effort, I, I, that's a, there's a right effort. There's an effort which um, is oriented towards um, uh, being present. And that usually requires um, a certain amount of stillness, maybe silence. Um, I, I, know, I know some people who say that they kind of meditate um, regularly, uh, listening to the radio or listening to music. Um, or they, they meditate walking their dog. Um, and, and the word meditation isn't, isn't exclusively Buddhist, um, but I think for a meditation to be Buddhist, it, it, it's usually um, maybe more helpful to think of it as a meditation which isn't trying to, to get anything, which isn't grasping at some alternate reality. And I think that characterizes Zazen for me. And I think if, if a mindfulness meditation or a jhana meditation or a metta meditation, uh, I mean, a loving kindness meditation, I think whatever meditation one's engaging in, for it to be a, a Buddhist meditation, for it to be a meditation which uh, is uh, likely to cultivate uh, awakening and to realize awakening, it, I think the, the practice um, is best um, giving up any uh, grasping, giving up any agenda, uh, and practicing the practice just just for the sake of the practice. So, if if I'm practicing zazen to become enlightened, or practicing metta meditation to have better relationships, or uh, practicing concentration meditation to enter a, a formless realm of con of, of consciousness, um, that grasping uh, will. Maybe more likely contributes to the solidifying of a, of a sense of self. Um, but if we can practice in an aware way that notices the grasping and, and lets go, uh, that meditation, I think, is is the meditation which uh, realizes the authenticity. Yeah. And I didn't know that's what I was <laughs> what I would have said until you asked me. <laughs> so thank you. You're welcome. Um, where can we go to um, to find you, to follow you, to um, catch more of your teaching? Uh, well, I don't. I mean, I don't have a, a regular slot anywhere, uh, unless you live locally to the southwest of England, uh, where I you can catch up with me personally. And um, but I do have uh, some med meditations I've I've uploaded to a, a, a smartphone app called Insight Timer. Um, so if you'd like to practice with some of my meditations, I, I've put those there. And I may at some point in the future upload some talks and, and further meditations there. So if you search for Devin Ashwood 
thank you Devin Ashwood on Insight Timer you may find me there um, uh, other than that if, if you, if you uh, do a web search for my name you'll probably find me uh, dotted about and can get in contact you'll be very welcome thank you perfect thank you Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I am really excited to get to spend more time with everyone uh, that comes in September. Hopefully gonna see some friends I made in Chicago and some new friends. So I'm talking about the Buddhist Recovery Summit that's taking place in Lacey, Washington. To get more information about that, check out BuddhistRecoverySummit.org. Okay, thanks everyone. Bye.